We just are looking forward to an exciting evening, a lot to teach here, a lot to say, and we're going to get right into it. Uh, I know that uh, this uh, regeneration is some heavy stuff for some of the people, uh, but, uh, you know, it's what I believe, and so I need to share it with you so that you can... Um, I know what I believe, and and I think that when people have the opportunity to get into these uh, beliefs, they are going to be um, uh, measurably improved on the spiritual side of knowledge. So um, we're looking forward to this time and this moment, and uh, hang in there with us tonight as we go into this uh, third teaching of regeneration. Okay, here, let's go. I want to start with an interesting scripture. It's in the nineteenth, uh, the ninth chapter of Proverbs. Pro- Proverbs 9, beginning with the first verse. And it puts it like this. Wisdom hath built her house. She has hewed out her seven pillars. Now, of course, the first question that might come to mind, well, what are those seven pillars? This is obviously a symbolism of something very deep and spiritual, something that uh, has to do with, um, you know, with wisdom. Because, after all, it's talking about wisdom has built her house. So uh, we, uh, we're pretty proud of, uh, of understanding that there is a revelation here, and it's for us tonight. Just a moment. So um, we're... Uh, we're getting ready here to uh, to look at, at what does this mean. Uh, it means that um, that those seven pillars has something to do with the wisdom, and the fact that they are hewn out uh, is very very uh, interesting. Uh, to hew something out is like to create. Uh, an image to create a a, a usable thing uh, is uh, to make make uh, an image um, to uh, bring forth something out of uh, out of death because rocks stones uh, they represent uh, a kind of death and uh, and then to bring it out of death uh, there's other meanings for rock for sure uh, especially when we think of the sila rock or or the rock of ages uh, but there is also entwined within that you know both death and life so uh, as we look at this and we talk about uh, uh, her house her house now uh, the house is described in the Bible in in Corinthians is described as the body you know when this house is dissolved I have a building not made with hands so this body is called a house so wisdom has built this house and hewed out her seven pillars. So the subject is about the human body. And and it has got to do with this hewing out, with this making anew of something, and has to do with the pillars. Now, when we start talking, has hewn out, what is being hewn out are these pillars. And these, these pillars, of course, support 
the roof uh, support various various uh, things. Might support even the building, depending how it is built. But but it has to do with seven seven pillars. The the word seven is uh, is so very very important. Uh, it, it is used uh, throughout the whole Bible. Uh, the Bible speaks in Zechariah 10.4, uh, those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the, earth, the whole earth. Zechariah 4.10. Uh, there are scriptures, uh, you know, like um, it talks about in, in, in the uh, uh, New Testament, um, uh, in Luke 8, it talks about uh, seven spirits, uh, you know, uh, as uh, almost as like as individ- individuals, and in Luke eight two it talks about uh, the seven uh, uh, seven demons. So so that both in the negative and the positive side, seven is relative to something very very important, and and uh, in the uh, Proverbs six sixteen it talks about the six things that that God hates, and the seventh uh, becomes an abomination to God. Um, it is an interesting in Proverbs twenty four sixteen. I love this one. A just man falls seven times and rises up again. Now that's not just some cute little saying. That has some very very deep and relevant meaning. A just man falls seven times and rises up again. Uh, uh, there are uh, is Proverbs twenty six twenty five the seven abominations of the heart. Um, <clears throat> Then uh, there is Jesus uh, speaking to to Peter, I believe it was. He said, "How many times shall I forgive uh, a person?" And uh, he says, uh, "Shall I forgive him? You know, uh, seven times?" He said, "No." He says, "I'm tell you, forgive him seventy times seven. And we've come to understand in those teachings that seventy, according to the ninetieth ninetieth chapter of Psalms, represents a a uh, generation life time and it is 70 to 80 years as a generation lifetime it doesn't mean that there aren't some people that live not that long or there are not some people that live uh, more than that but as an average uh, you know uh, that represents a, a generation of life and uh, so that that is very important because then the 70 when Jesus says seven times 70 becomes a meaning of seven lives uh, I say to you, forgive them not just for seven times, but forgive them for seven times seventy. He said, "This is the correct way to say it, because then this applies to seven uh, lifetime generations or seven lives." So here we have in the Bible an amazing thing, and this certainly is part of, of an understanding of uh, regeneration, and uh, it is extremely, extremely uh, powerful truth, extremely powerful revelation. There are so many things on, on these seven times. Uh, you know, in the Bible, seven horns, seven eyes, seven heads, seven crowns, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven plagues, seven seals, seven vials. Um, on and on and on. There is just a prolific use uh, of it. Um, Job 5, 6, uh, 519, Job 519. He shall deliver thee in six troubles. Yea, in seven there shall be no evil touch thee. 
Wow, I think that is utterly incredible. Uh, if you want to tie that into, to you know, the uh, a just man falls, you know, uh, six times, the seventh time he rises up, uh, ties right into that scripture. Um, Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 2. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. This would go along with that 70 to 80 years generation lifespan uh, given in uh, Psalms uh, chapter 90. Uh, it, it, it just all ties together. It, it is beautiful how that it how that it does tie together it's just uh it just is absolutely sensational let's go on with this uh, proverb scripture um she has hewn out her seven pillars so there's seven pillars and we're going to say <clears throat> that those seven pillars represent seven lives and it goes on in verse 2 it says that she has killed her beast uh, in the uh, book of Ecclesiastes it says I pray God that you would manifest man that he would understand that he himself is a beast so uh, the New Testament especially the writings of Paul is uh, many times talking about overcoming the mortal overcoming you know this this animal nature beast that is, that is that is in us and uh, uh, she has has killed her beast she has mingled her wine she has furnished her table she has sent forth her maidens she cries upon the highest places of the city whosoever is simple turn in hither for as to him that wanteth understanding she saith to him come eat of my bread drink of my wine which I have mingled forsake the foolish and live and go the way of understanding now to show the contextual reality of this seven pillars it really is captioned in verse 11 for by me for this this presents now prepositional wise a causation here is the reason why of all these things I have just said because or for by me thy days shall be multiplied and thy years of thy life shall be increased so we, we see the beauty of that uh, as it is it is applied and and that the subject contextually uh, when you take it in the in the context of, of the uh, chapter and the verses uh, is about you know lives and living and 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 is about uh, these seven lives that are given to us as pillars of the house and and, uh, and that that to me is just an uh, absolutely fabulous uh, scripture it is um, it is really a, a sensational scripture okay um, <clears throat> I want to um, to get on some interesting things here tonight there's so much to cover so much but let's just get on on, uh, on some things that uh, will be interesting to you turn with me to the book of John uh, John chapter 3 and um, we're going to start with um, uh, verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the actual full representation 
in the Greek of the Scripture, and it's not very difficult to prove it, and it shouldn't take you any time to prove it yourself, but it actually says, um, you know, except a person be born again from above. That is the full meaning. So it is talking about uh, a spiritual birth, and it is not saying, you know, uh, except a man uh, uh, be born again, that this being born again in a physical sense is what will save him because we know that the Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven but that doesn't mean that it is not used and does not have a role it certainly does have a role and certainly does have a place but but let's look at this verily I say to you except a man be born again from above he cannot see the kingdom of God so even though you have the kingdom of God within you and you know about it in a sense of it having been said and you remembering that you still cannot know what it means about that kingdom of God within you because unless you have been born again from above uh, you, you can't come into the into the meaning of it uh, because it says you can't see the kingdom of God unless you've had that experience now Nicodemus said unto Jesus how can a man be born when he is old can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born and Jesus answered Verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, when Nicodemus said that, Jesus did not make fun of him, because Jesus understood how important the relevance of being born as a human being was. So he goes on and says, Verily I say to you, except a man be born of water. Now, what that is talking about, some people say that's water baptism. Absolutely one million trillion quadrillion percent. That is not what that is talking about. And don't let anybody tell you that it is. What that is talking about is the water bag that we are born in. And and that is talking about a human birth, born in the, in the mother's womb, born in the water bag. And you've often heard about, you know, the water is broken, it's time to have the baby. Uh, except a man be born of water, be born in a natural birth, is what it's saying, and born of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, in this particular scenario, just being born of the Spirit alone cannot get you into seeing the kingdom of God it is an absolute necessity but that alone cannot do it and that's why Jesus said you know if anyone that denies that I came into the flesh and that this was um, you know through the spirit that it was spoken of uh, in 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 uh, one of the uh, gospel uh, not gospels but one of the books of John it said uh, uh, you know that that whosoever denies that Jesus came in the flesh is an antichrist. If you deny that Jesus had a physical body, say he never did have a, sp a physical body, that was just you know a symbolism. It says hey, you're an antichrist because you are denying fifty percent 
of what of what the revelation revelation was about, and, and what the um, mission was about that Jesus uh, came on earth to fulfill, and 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 fifty percent of that mission had to do with him taking on and living in a physical body that was capable of being tempted, and and going through trials and tribulations just like any other human would have, and so so uh, it says here you know except you are born of water, which means you have a natural, physical, human birth, and a spiritual birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that would not apply if it was a brand new creation. If it was a brand new creation, it would it would it would be a, a different meaning. But when this particular creation that we are living now, which is the eighth universe, uh, um, is being spoken of, we are talking about human beings uh, that are here because they are fallen angels uh, who, uh, after the the war in heaven between Lucifer and and the seraphims, uh, they were cast down to earth. And and uh, they had to you know then therefore go into matter take on, on 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 bodies so they are the fallen angels quite often people will say to me well then what about the demons where what where they come from well the demons are those angels that out of fear out of uh, being convinced by Lucifer refused to take the uh, the human bodies. And, and it's, you know, uh, God will not uh, force anybody to do anything against his will. And, and these angels re- did, just did not want to take uh, a, a human body and go into matter and lose their memory, of not remember who they were, not re- uh, have the connection of God consciousness, not have a, a connection of memory of all the, the knowledge that they knew and the wisdom that they knew. They just did not want to do it and they refused they became the demons and and so those are the demons the ones that are not the demons are the ones that that took on human bodies with the idea of taking on this human body and then being able over a course of time which might take seven li- seven lives uh, because of all the interferences that happen on this planet and and uh, it doesn't mean it has to take seven lives there might be a person that would that would overcome in the first life and never have to come back and and live another life but but uh, everybody is guaranteed they're going to get a time and they're going to get a chance and God is just and he's going to give everybody an equal opportunity so so as we begin to see this and to understand this uh, then that is the meaning why in this particular case why that we have to come into the flesh and so accept that we we are born of a body of the flesh because of the fact that we are that fallen angels and we had to come into matter, we had to do this, uh, then it becomes a necessity. And, and therefore, because it's a necessity, it's part of the curve, it's part of the requirement uh, for those who are going to be able to begin to remember and to understand what the kingdom of God uh, really is. Uh, and so, except you are born uh, of the water, and of the Spirit, you will not enter into that kingdom uh, of God. You'll not be able to consciously enter, or or, or uh, mentally enter, or memory-wise, uh, memory, uh, um, memory-wise enter. Verse six. And then it, it it accentuates this: that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
So we're talking two propositions here, the Bible is saying. There is that which is born of flesh, which is obviously, he just got through saying, except a man be born of water. Okay, that is the natural birth then. That's not baptism in water. Don't get that mixed up. That is, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That's not talking about baptism. It's talking about a person being being birthed. And so, uh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So we have two situations. We have the natural birth and we have the spiritual birth. There's two of them. They both are required. The one, the spiritual birth has to be uh, born again from above because we all belong to that uh, ascendant staircase. We we all b- belong uh, to that to that royal p- uh, pavilion uh, of having uh, lived before, having existed before. And in Job thirty eight, it describes us as the morning stars who lived and existed before the foundations of this uh, world and earth were even uh, made. That we live then, we sung songs, uh, we communicated, uh, we were creators at that time. That was before the fall. Okay. Um, and then it, it goes on, and and this is all in the same chapter. This is so important. The same, 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 just a few verses uh, uh, away, how important this is. Uh, and he says, I have told you earthly things, and you have not believed me. How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Now that was chapter 3 of John, verse 12. Then he goes on in verse 13, he says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, and even as the Son of Man which is in heaven. So, no man, and man is used here, the way it's used in this verse, no man, it's, it's the same as saying no human, because man represents here both male and female. So no no human has ascended up to heaven unless he came down from there. And so we are dealing with a special creation here. We are dealing with, with people who uh, uh, once were in the first domain, once were angels, and who fell and are down here in uh, this uh, uh, mortal uh, flesh, this um, this um, um, density of matter, and um, uh, we have to find our way. We are living in what the Bible describes uh, as as um, uh, the land of forgetfulness. That's in the Book of Psalms. So. Um, it is so important. It's so important, you know, uh, because it says, you know, if you didn't come down from heaven, then, you know, you're not going to be ascending to heaven, because this message and and this gospel and this message is is about uh, the whole thing that has to do with the fallen angels. And and it when we you talk about salvation, it's talking about the salvage of these persons who have fallen. It's a salvage message, and that's what it's all about. Uh, okay, we we we, um, uh, we we'll we'll stop then. Except we might like to throw this in because it'll tie in to some other teachings. Uh, verse seventeen: For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might through him be saved. So the whole beauty of this is that when Jesus came, he did not come to condemn 
the, the, the fallen angels. He didn't come down here to say, look what you have done. Look what this has caused you. Look at the agony that you put yourself in. Look at the state that you have put yourself in. He did not come here to do that. He came here with one intent in mind. And that was that through him that the whole world would be saved. And that's why all these various doctrines of the manifest are so extremely important. Transassimilation. You know, when Jesus said, except you eat my uh, my flesh and drink my blood, uh, he was talking about blood represents life. He, and, and he was talking about, you know, except you take on, you know, uh, you know m- the Christ image and except you live my life, uh, you will in no wise be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, this w- was a flesh life that he's referring to now. You've got to, you've got to live uh, Christ. Now, how can you do that? Well, it is so simple. You, it is so simple because the way he's laid it out uh, is not complicated. It's, it's, it's rendering. You, know, you render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but unto God you render unto God what, what is God's. And if God makes a plan and God says through Jesus, I've got a deal, and here's the deal. Uh, if you will not judge anybody, then you will not be judged. Now, I don't, in all the religions that exist in the world, I do not know any religion that offers a deal like that. There's nothing like that in any religion, and I've read and know uh, every, every practical, uh, pract- just practically every religion that, that is out there. I've, I've read about it, studied about it. Uh, I tell you, this is the greatest, uh, uh, this is the greatest, most fantastic offer. Uh, this is the kind of thing that proves to me the power of Jesus Christ. This is why, you know, uh, I totally believe there's no other name given under heaven whereby a person can be saved but Jesus Christ. Because, you know, there is a fulfillment. There is a hope. Uh, There isn't just some kind of endless cycling uh, that goes on for eternities until finally one day uh, by by, uh, uh, sort of like a a, a gamble of it or a hope of it. uh, You know, you throw the dice a certain way and, and all of a sudden it lands on the number that you need to make it out. It's not like that. Uh, the provision has been made and offered through Jesus Christ. And 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 uh, that is what will enable us to be saved if we can believe that, if we can take that on. And, uh, and that message, there's a lot of people out there preaching that, that believe in Jesus Christ. And I thank God for that. That part of it is very good. It's just that a lot of these people don't have the whole message. They only have a part of it and and they're they're missing the rest of the message and that's why we're taking the time to spread it and to minister it because it, it is it is very very important uh for us to have uh, that that absolute uh, underst- understanding okay now um let's uh, go uh turn with me to Romans uh Chapter, I think we're in, yeah, we want a chapter 11. Romans 11. Okay, we're going to start with verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, 
God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David says, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and 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 bow down that uh, that their uh, back uh, and bow down their back always. Um, eleven verse eleven. Uh, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But uh, get, get a hang on this one. But rather through their fall. Salvation is come unto the Gentiles. Now, what the scripture is saying here is the most incredible thing. It is saying that when God made it so these these Israel people and and the, some of the election people that they could not see, they could not hear, they could not understand things, and He created a stumbling block for them. Uh, and this was because of sins and disobediences and transgressions. But but instead of saying, okay, they have done these terrible sins, they have committed these terrible acts, now they've got to be punished, uh, Jesus Christ worked out a different way. Instead, he having the power of being a potter, he put them in a stance as though uh, what they had done, instead of it being evil, he turned it around, he inverted it, and he made it to be for the good. So that their fall actually was not a fall, did not become a fall downward, but in this case became a fall upward. Now don't you understand that that is the very same idea and concept that Jesus has for the fall of the angels? He's planning to use this whole thing of the fall of the angels and invert it so that it actually has a tremendous impact of offering for creations that are yet to be brought forth. And it's going to actually engender those creations and make them more powerful and make the angel missionaries that get redeemed and, and, and get sal- salvaged uh, more capable of doing a greater uh, job with a greater amount of love. And so it's going it's going to be inverted and turned into something powerful into something instead of something negative. Because that is how God does things, that is how Jesus Christ does things, calling calling those things that are not as though they are. And and, and taking those things uh that seem to not be uh to actually be. Uh, those, those are just beautiful, uh powerful things. And and it's so exciting. Uh, so, so he says, now if the fall of them, this is verse 12, we're in chapter 11 of Romans. Now if the fall of them uh, be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, uh, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Uh, God is saying, if I had been able to take and use their errors and their mistakes and their sins and their fall, so that even that became a blessing to these other people, the Gentiles, who did not know God, did not had fallen so far away, they didn't re- even remember any connection. If I'd been able to use that, just think about the day when these uh, people who ha- come out of their, this uh, state uh, begin to be spiritual, how incredibly powerful they are going to be uh, used and, and be able to do things uh, for God. Um, okay, so... 
It goes on down here in verse 15. Once again, we're in Romans 11, and now verse 15. For if, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Now, hang and hold. I find it interesting that term that is used because the Bible talks about, you know, being cast out of heaven, being cast down. And it, here it uses this word and it uses this preposition, which is a, a determinate word. Uh, it's a causation type of word uh, because, or as I said earlier, uh, you know, or other type of, of meanings that relate to that. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? What shall the resolution be? But life from the dead. If, if, if number one, they could be cast down, but that would be used to reconcile the whole world into the opportunity of salvation. What's going to happen then when these that have been uh, uh, cast away and are, have been used for reconciliation? What's going to be when then they, for this act that they have done, which they have done not of their own accord, but by the love of Jesus Christ loving them so, uh, when that is turned into uh, them being received, what is that then going to become? It said it's going to be life from the dead. So this subject that we're talking about here all has to do about life and, and death that has to do with the human body. And that is very, very, very important. Okay. So then it goes on, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now, this is so incredibly important. It is so incredibly important. I want you to really hang on to this. If the first fruits be holy, then the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now, there is a, a state of understanding here. And this particular state of understanding is totally anti-karma. This is totally anti-karma. Because karma doesn't teach anything like this. But this teaches that if you have ever been a, a part of an original... state and being a part of the original state that was your first proof your first fruit your first proof your first offering and that offering that life that achievement was holy then that becomes a lump and a lump is like in clay or or sometimes even in food something that you begin with to make something out of it. 
So it says, then, if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is going to be holy too. So now we have the first fruit that is holy, you have the lump that is holy, and then it says, and if the root be holy, so it sort of jumps from the lump to the root because you begin to understand that this action and this position of first fruit and lump do stand for the beginning and that is very well said to be the root. So then the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy, they are like the root. So therefore, if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now if some of the branches, verse 17, be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. Thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest in faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he spare not thee. Behold, therefore, goodness and severity of God, which fell on them, etc. Very, very, very interesting. Now let's skip down to verse uh, 24. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more are these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Now, you have to understand this thing about grafting is all about regeneration. And it's about the fact that no person can ascend to heaven that didn't come from heaven. But if you have that inherent right in you, that you came from heaven, and that you are a citizen of heaven, being a citizen of the first domain, heaven, the heaven above all heavens, you are a citizen of that first domain, then you have a, an, an inalienable right that, that, that cannot just be taken away from you. It's, it's an eternal inheritance. And having that uh, is, is just absolutely incomparable to anything that a person could even think uh, because it's such a broad and beautiful and deep subject. But let's listen to this a minute. So if you have that inherent right... And, and and that is the first fruit, and that is the lump, and your root, what you go back to, which is, you go back to where you came from, which is the first domain, then all the branches, all the branches of the tree, they're going to be holy. That means whichever one of those lives that you live, first pillar, second pillar, third pillar, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and even if in a special dispensation, an uh, eighth. Every one of those in God's sight is going to look at you from the root, from the fruit, from the lump, and is going to consider you 
as a citizen of heaven to be holy. Now someone says, oh, oh, well, wait, oh, man, oh, hey, you wait. If people in the days of Moses could take an old animal like a cow, eating grass, flies blowing on them, and crapping all over the place, and bring him in and sprinkle a little, tell him and sprinkle a little blood on him and declare him to be holy, become a holy cow. And human beings can do that, and it be so holy that it's able to be used in the outer court of the Holy of Holies. Then, ladies and gentlemen, if humans are allowed to do that, what do you think that God is allowed to do? We're not talking about a cow. We're not talking about some earthly creature. We are talking about angels open him from the first domain. And that is a major difference. These are citizens of the kingdom of God, of the first domain, which is the heaven, capital H, heaven of heavens, no, no capital. The heaven of heavens is a spiritual, all pure energy place. All the other heavens are in the, in the universe. They are physical places. Now, let's go into this grafting a little bit more. Let's say, for instance, that, um, that you, are, you have started a genetic line. And, um, and in, even as um, we find in Corinthians that every man is after his own order. But when we get the list in, in Ephesians of the powers and the principalities and the thrones and, and <coughs> all these different hierarchy positions, uh, we I come to understand that uh, there are angels that are angels of the uh, that are that are angel flashes of different orders. Some of them are in the blue light. Some of them are in the the scarlet light. So they're all in different orders. So say, for instance, uh, though that this person who um, is of one genetic nature, uh, that there is a regeneration an incarnation into that person whose root goes back in association to that higher order, but yet this person becomes grafted in. So by becoming grafted in, he actually is able to make a move up because he is able to take advantage of, of the first fruit and the lump and the root of that hierarchy that belong to the citizenship of that person who lived before the foundations of the world was part of the open and morning stars in Job 68 that it describes. And were the Ophanim described in Ezekiel who were called wheels. Wheel being Ophan. And that being singular and Ophanim being plural. And when we begin to see this, it is an exciting, absolutely incredible thing. And we begin to see this thing uh, because there are a lot of teachings in the Bible about the branch. And the branch is one of the terms even used to describe Jesus Christ. It also is used to describe David. 
And when you begin to see this, uh, these branches, you begin to understand this grafting in. That 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 uh, as people are going through these different uh, pillar experiences, pillar one, pillar two, pillar three, four, five, six, seven, and maybe eight, when they go through these pillar experiences, which are these different lives that they may have to live, which is really nothing when you consider the the longness uh, uh, of time, the incredible long spans of time. You don't think there's long spans of time, then you need to just look out at your at your sky and the, the stars and understand how incredible uh, the ages of those stars are. And understand that on this earth, uh, what they used to think was just a short period of time, that every day as archaeologists are digging, they're going deeper and deeper into things that is proving every day how the longevity being of a greater and greater length of time and going back, 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 back into time. And, and we've got to understand that that is the way that God did things. That's the way God God meant it to be. God allowed it to be. This vast time thing, because otherwise uh, it would it, it would just be a flash and it would be over. Because for God to be able to to equivocate in any means of duration with it, because of the of the thing like you know a thousand years with God is just like a day. So so uh, you know if if you if you took um, a thousands and 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 thousands uh, and thousands of years that would still only be a matter of a few days. So 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 for God to have uh, an equation of time value, uh, the the stretch of time has to go on an incredible vast span. And then it has a relativeness of of uh, associated time uh, with God because with God a thousand years is just one day. And we're not talking like a thousand years uh, equals one year. No, it's being reduced way more than that. A thousand years is is equaling only one day. Now that is that is incredible. So so now you have to really multiply the time factor for there to for for there to be any relevance of, of time uh, for God, uh, because otherwise uh, the superimposed that is created is that He makes this universe and then based on human time uh, being relative to it, uh, it, it's just a flash and bam, it's gone. And and uh, and because. Uh, that was exactly how it would be. So it is stretched out. It is stretched out. And there are, of course, many other reasons uh, for it than that. But back to this thing of the, of the graft and this regeneration. Um, so, so sometimes uh, people get broken off out of a graft that they have. Like uh, sometimes um, um, uh, children that are the offspring of a parent. Uh, they just become so despondent and they turn against their parents with with such uh, strong feelings, such emotion, sometimes almost like a hate, uh, that by causation of, of their attitude in continuum and, and their uh, despising in continuum, uh, they create their branch to become broken. And when their branch com- becomes broken, that has to become uh, virtually associated with a uh, with a different connection to a different uh, a different uh, tree and a different root, 
and they become grafted into another situation, which then becomes a proxy for when they come back to live the next time around, that they then fall into this other category that they have associated themselves with in those other roots when they come back, and they lose out on that root that they were in. So it, there is so much to this. This grafting is, is an incredible thing. And, and Jesus is making it clear, uh, or I should say in Romans here, it is being made clear by Paul, you know, be very careful uh, uh, about this. Don't get high-minded. Don't get fearful. Uh, don't take anything for granted. Uh, but just be thankful uh, that, you know, because this, this is this olive tree mountain I said I'd take you to. These, are, these olives are growing on the, uh, on the Mount of Olives. And, and uh, you know, uh, there's there's uh, there's wild olive trees and and there's uh, natural olive trees. Uh, there's the good olive trees and some that aren't as good as the others. And that's what it seems to indicate in the 24th verse here of uh, of the 11th chapter of um, Romans. Uh, so we 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 have to understand how much more shall these, which be natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? There comes a time of reconciliation in which people may come to a realization my God my God what a mistake that I have made I cut myself off from my parents I cut myself off from my mom or from my dad or from my brothers and my sisters uh, from people that 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 God gave me to be born among and, and uh, I rejected them and and now I realized that was a horrible mistake and they're actually they're actually beautiful people but I was blind I couldn't see it and, and then these people may may plead may ask God you know don't 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 cut me off from my my family connection don't don't take me away from that root don't take me away from that first fruit that belongs to my citizenship in heaven uh, but allow me to still be associated with them so that when I go back to be an them, you know, uh, if, if I want to be back into into the, the, the blue light or the scarlet light that they were before so that I'm connected in that same angelic uh, uh, ranking, I, I want to go back to that. That's what all this grafting is about. It's deep, and it, and it, and it ties in, uh, you know, to uh, like uh, when Jesus said, okay, what have you done with your the pound? That, that, that you were given. Oh, I buried it, you know, and put it in a handkerchief so that it wouldn't get lost. And he says, you've been unfaithful. You know, Did, don't you know that I'm the kind of person that that uh, that I reap where I have not sown? And, and, and this is also anti-karma, to reap where uh, you, you have not sown. That is totally the difference, much different than, than you, you reap what you sow. And we'll get into that a little bit more later. But then there's one more verse here that I want to read that, that connects in to this whole thing that I've been talking about, about this fall upward. In verse 26 of Romans 11, um, it says, And so all... Well, I should start with verse 25, excuse me. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery. And I want, I want to offer that to you people that are listening today. And I want to offer that to the people out there uh, that are uh, not listening but should be listening. But perhaps because we are recording these messages that you know they want to get a chance at a later time to plug in and listen to these messages. I want to tell you that I would not... I would not 
ladies and gentlemen, that you should uh, remain ignorant of the mystery. God wants you to know the mystery. It may not always be proper, uh, be uh, easy to teach it um, uh, because there's people that may rebel but when you know the truth you know that that eventually if you keep preaching this truth that, that people will be set free they will be set free uh, and at least you should be wise in your own conceits that, that, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in there is a time that people are put into a dispensation of blindness, and it's allowed to happen to them by God. It's part of the three wills of God. You know, there is the perfect will of God, the permissive will of God, and the anti-will of God. And and uh, uh, when one of those wells is in process, even if it's the permissive well of God, uh, it is an absolutely um, very important factor and, and leads to all kinds of summations. So when these people, like a whole nation, has been allowed to go into this blindness because of their own fault and sins, nevertheless they are, then Christ inverts it. So that their so that their blindness, instead of it just becoming uh, an ignorance that will destroy them and cause them to be uh, punished in a, in, in a, a terrible, conclusive, resolute way, instead he inverts it and he turns it into uh, a happening. Uh, you know that that they are being put in abeyance until the fullness of the Gentiles are come in. And then in verse 26, here's the resolution. And, Senadaki, and so all Israel shall be saved. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And I want to tell you something. No matter how corrupted you feel by things that you yourselves have done, no matter how sinful, no matter how how you feel that you may have missed the path of God so many times, uh, if you will uh, render unto Christ this salvage mission that he is on, and you will reconcile yourself with Christ to understand that by transassimilating to his nature that he is able to render to you so that all of your ungodliness is turned away. It is turned away and therefore disconnected from you as though you never ever committed it. You never ever at any time partook in it. It disappears. And then the inversion and conversion becomes a tremendous thing and readies you to get into the final resolute uh, place with God. Uh, it is a uh, a beautiful conclusion. In verse 29, just to cap it off, it makes this point, and I want you to digest this one. I want you to put this on a platter and, and, and fork and knife around with it and, and understand the meatiness of it. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. There comes a time when the right application is rendered. When you come into the right channel of your belief, 
that your calling, no matter how it may have deviated, no matter how what mistakes you may have uh, done, even being part of those cast out uh, from your angelship, there comes a point that even without any repentance of that, because of the fact that your root was a first fruit because of the fact that your lump was a part of that citizenship and therefore you have a heritage and this heritage is your guarantee that at any time that you that you would go out on a mission such as the angels did and you would fall astray that there would always be a redeemer come In the name of the of the Lord God Almighty, to reach to you, to save you, to redeem you, to salvage you. Wow. That's nothing but exciting. Nothing but exciting. Turn with me to First Corinthians fifteen. In the book of uh, Corinthians, okay. Um, Corinthians 15. All right. Um, <clears throat> let's start with um, verse 29. Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead. If the dead ri rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Okay. In verse 34 it says, Awake to righteousness sin not for some have not the knowledge of God I speak this to your shame but some man will say how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come now this thing about the baptism of the dead is not just some sleazy statement or teaching what it is basically saying is these Entities that have shed their body clothing or shed their house and are in a state of waiting for a new body. And people that are praying or having a baptismal of the dead service uh, for such people that uh, it's all for the purpose that these people are going to rise again and live another life. Otherwise, it would instead be that they're not going to rise again until the very, very end of time when everything is over and they're going to then rise in the judgment day. So if that's already set and that's already a condition... 
that that's going to happen no matter what, no matter what you do, no matter what anybody does, because that they are already dead, they are already in that state, and they're just going to be there until the the end of the end of all ends of time. Then you know wh- what are you wasting your time doing the baptism for? What are you wasting your time with this whole subject of rendering? Well, it's because that that is not a true teaching. That is not a true doctrine. Because these that have been baptized for the dead, they are going to rise again. And when we are putting ourselves even in jeopardy for these people in our prayers, we have no question, we have no doubt that God will give them a good regeneration. They are going to rise again if they have not finished their time and chance. So verse 35, but some men will say, well, okay, say that they do rise again. How are they raised up and with what body do they come? Now that sounds like it could be a reasonable question, but Paul doesn't think it is. Paul says, you fool, that which thou soweth is not quickened except except it die. Well, Paul was detecting something that was a philosophical, psychological theme among those people he was writing to. And he was detecting that they were involved in this whole thing that uh, about the dead. Uh, there was the Sadducees that didn't even believe in the resurrection. And there was the uh, Pharisees uh, that had all kinds of mixed ideas about it. And he said, you know, you're just in, into a fool thing. First off, this thing about living and dying, what is the parable that except the grain of corn fall to the ground and die, it can't sprout up. It can't live again. So that the very act of dying sometimes is an act of being reborn in another body. They are connected. Life and death, death and life are connected because it is not a final curtain call. We're not talking the second death, which is final curtain call. We are talking death, and that death is the first death, and it stretches out, as it says in, in, in the book of the 90th chapter of Psalms, it stretches out uh, for that generation lifetime of 70 to 80,000 years. And in the 105th chapter of Psalms, it says that there is a covenant that God made. And that covenant that God made with, with, with the people was for a thousand, one thousand generations. So if you have a thousand generations of, of, of 70, you have 70,000 years. So it's 70,000 to 80,000 because it's 70 or 80 years and times a thousand generations. You've got 70 to 80,000 years of the, the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, which is called the Abrahamic bosom. And, and that is the time that, that is allotted for these re-generations to take place. The seven pillars, the seven lives, the, 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 to run in the race and everybody to have a time and an opportunity. That's all part of that. Wow. And he says, so the whole idea 
is that you're going to be quickened again. He doesn't use the word resurrection. He says quickened. And that can't happen until you finish one life. You're going to, when you, 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 every time you live one life, you're going to have to be judged on that life. And that life is going to have to have, have an assessment as to what you've done, whether or not you've had all your opportunities or not, whether you've had your time and a chance, and what you've done, what the scales of the balance are. Is it, is, is it written on the law and you're found wanting? It has to be an assessment. And, and until that happens, you can't be quickened to go on to the next next life. Verse 37. Now get a hold of this one. Plant this deep in your mind. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be. Now people have images about death. They have images about their self. They have images about their family, about their nation, about the people they are relative to or they are uh, nationally involved with. And they have an image of that. Uh, and uh, they believe that, uh, you know, when they die, uh, everything is going to be the same except everything is going to be uh, in, a, in, a, in a good stance. There will be no more trouble uh, with feelings and emotions and, and everybody will just, you know, be happy. Uh, but everything, they'll look just about the same, and, and, uh, but it will just be in a peaceful state. And he, and he says, you know, that's part of the people that are the fool. He says, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. But bare grain, it may be chance of wheat or some other grain. Uh, this is so important. When your body dies, your house dies, and that seed then from, from your spirit is quickened to live in another body. It's not going to be a replica of that body that you had. It may not... You may be a male in this life, and in the next life you may be a female. In this life you may be an Anglo-Saxon, in the next life you might be a Chinese. That doesn't mean, because the Bible says that all the nations, all the people, are of the same blood. That doesn't mean that that person, whether he's black, red, yellow, white, does not have a root to a high, high hierarchy. Doesn't mean that he doesn't. But notice this word, chance. Verse 37, and, thou, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body which shall be, but, but bear grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. Now, come on. A farmer goes out to sow, and he sows wheat. He doesn't go out there and say, well, I really don't know what seed I've got, so I don't know if I'm going to get barley or clover or wheat or whatever I'm going to get. It does not happen like that. So it's obviously not talking about a farmer. But what it's doing is using these symbolisms to represent 
the different kinds of human bodies. And we know that's been done before because Jesus used the example of the tares and the wheat, which were representing uh, human beings. And it's even a possibility of other grain. And then he makes it clear, but, that's another leaning word, God giveth it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Wow. So here we go. This is so important. This is anti-karma. They have the caste system. And they believe that you're in this caste and you can't get out of it. And you're going to come back into that caste. You're stuck with it. But but the Bible teaches quite different than that. The teachings in, in God are that that yes, there is this thing about about sowing and then reaping. And and that is that has a similarity to, to, to karma to to a certain extent. But that's only a very small portion that applies to human beings. It doesn't apply to all human beings because Jesus says that the way he is with his way of accounting is he reaps where he has not sown. And he tells us that we're going to do the same thing. We're going to reap where we have not sown. So you might look up such scriptures as John 4 verse 38 and Luke 19.22 and those, those chapters and verses will tell you what I'm saying that you you can reap where you have not sown. And it gives God a body that pleases him. Well, car, karma doesn't teach that has anything to do with God being pleased about what body you get. Here's just this endless cycling until one day you recycle enough to finally somehow get out of the cycles. Wow. That's neat stuff, folks. Now let's go on. We're uh, we're rolling here. We're uh, you know covering covering lots of ground. Um, one last little ditty I want to leave with you. Matthew nine verse sixteen. No man putteth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, for that which is Put in to fill it, fill it uh, taketh out from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Think in terms of this when you think in terms of the grafting. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment, and then neither do men put new wine into old bottles. Else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. The Bible speaks in Corinthians about every man after his own order. But at the same time, it's just like when you're out looking for someone to donate a heart or a liver or a kidney. Um, There's a certain amount of compatibility that the person whose body is going to be a donor has to have with your body. If it doesn't, then, you know, that incompatibility can kill you. So the thing of it is, <clears throat> all of this thing, even here with this, these this new clothing and old garments, and and the uh, old bottles and the new bottles, 
there is a tie-in here, even to this thing of regeneration. There, there comes a point, you know. Why, why are you having this baptism of the dead if the if they do not raise? Well, the baptism of the dead, you know, is uh, praying for people. Uh, I, I have a, a grandmother. I have a mother, and I have a brother that I I pray for almost every day. I pray for their peace. I pray for their soul. I pray for their forgiveness. The Bible tells us in the book of John that we have the power to do that. And I, I do that every day. And I believe that we should do that, if we could, up to ten generations. And I have the time to do the teaching on that today. But all of these things, and if I had the time to really, really, you know, spread it out, really get into it, I could do so in such a way that uh, we could cover a whole lot more. There, there are so many, uh, you know, beautiful things, you know. Uh, <clears throat> all, a lot of these things have to do with, with um, you know, regeneration. And regeneration has to do with restoration. And regeneration has to do with the washing of, re-in- of regeneration. And, and, and sometimes when we have to change our clothes, uh, get a new body, um, we, you know, Grandma used to always say to me, you know, I, I, I'm going to be so happy when I get my new body. And and she understood that she was going to get a new body. Isaiah fifty eight twelve talks about uh, raising up the foundations of many generations, the restore of paths to dwell in. That is such a regeneration statement. The foundations raising it up of many generations, the restoring of paths to dwell in. You know the, these paths of these different pillars, these different pillar lives. Um, Psalms 51, 8, 12. Restore me to my full, to my joy. Uphold me with a free spirit. Joel 2, 25. I will restore to you the years that the locust, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm have eaten. Uh, sometimes that restoration will actually happen in another life. That's why in Matthew 1711 in, in, in the last chapter of uh, uh, Malachi, uh, it says, Elijah must come and restore all things before the coming of Christ. There's so many beautiful things. Uh, it, it, it just, it just, they're just beautiful. Um, Romans 4.17, God who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Uh, wow. There's, it's exciting. Uh, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Those are just beautiful scriptures. Well, when, when did it happen to us that, you know, that this thing about only one life began, became, became prominent? Um, because the believing of of being able to live more than one life and that being the standard 
uh, it goes back thousands and thousands of years. Well, I, I, I can tell you uh, what the consensus is. The first council, council of, um, you know, uh, 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 that, that was uh, in um, of the Nicaea in a, 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 A.D. 325 um, was the beginning. And then uh, there was the Constantine connection uh, to the uh, uh, the Council um, of Nicaea in 379, and other others through 395 A.D. And then uh, later uh, there was this very powerful the Fifth Ecumenical Council, 553 A.D. And at that time there was 15 anathemas that put a curse on you. If you believed in reincarnation, they put you. Were, you would put a curse on. There's 15 different curses that they put on you. So it's in those meetings, those count, those meetings that I mentioned in those particular times, that they begin to to change and make an anathema if you believed in in the regeneration or reincarnation, as they called it then. <clears throat> which there is a difference between reingeneration and reincarnation, uh, but uh, they begin to to transliterate from the Aramaic into Latin, and it was during that time of those transliterations from the Aramaic into Latin that uh, they begin the fixing of the criteria for Christian orthodoxy. And they begin to do it with such a professional style and method that, uh, you know, it just looked that that was the original scripture. But if you're very, very uh, uh, watchful, it's very easy to see that that is not the case. Okay, uh, let's go on here. Um, we've, uh, it's uh, still, it's, I can't believe the time, how fast it's passing. Uh, I, I tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to have to have a fourth session because uh, I am not even possibly going to be able to finish this, and uh, uh, not 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 today. Not even if I even if I did my teachings and transmissions until twelve o'clock tonight. Uh, you know, I I just wouldn't be able to finish it. We do know that there are a lot of fragments of lost truth and many of these if found uh, would verify regeneration and and God is bringing these these uh, things uh, to life uh, he uh, uh, his his perfect will uh, has an intention to do that and some of these verses I read to you before but they're so beautiful you know I want to read them again I, Yaviel, have in foreknowledge of your destiny, direct upon you thoughts of peace, whereby you may overcome all evil. Jeremiah 29.11 Isaiah 58.12 And they of the destinata shall be spiritual Israel's call to restore lost knowledge, to raise up the revelation of regeneration, and your leadership shall be called the repairer of breath. The restore of paths to dwell in. Both of those are MIV. Praise God. And then there's this very powerful scripture where um, in Matthew 19:28, 28, 
And Jesus said unto them, this is KJV, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you shall also sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the MIV. And Jesus said to his disciples, You have followed me in many transformations. If you follow me when I, the Son of humankind, enter the transgenerations unto the glory of my throneship, then you shall enter into the glory circuits of my throneship as open of angels to guardianship over other kins people of God. Now I know I read these last week, but they're just so important for the sake of any other persons here that didn't hear it. Uh, I just think it was worthwhile to read read that again. They're they're just uh, you know so important. And in Ecclesiastes 9:11. <clears throat> just for the sake of anyone new here. As I look back in time to the days that had passed under the sun, I observed the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither bread to the wise, nor yet favor to persons of skill, but to each person uh, are accorded a time and opportunity. There's a time and opportunity, a time and a chance. If, in the KJIV says time and chance happens to them all. And uh, it is uh, absolutely uh, beautiful to have the knowledge of these things. It's so very important. Um, the Titus 3.6 MIV, and by the regeneration, the washings of regeneration, and the renewing process of the Holy Ghost, which by mercy Yahweh shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, Yahweh our Savior. Uh, those are just all beautiful things that uh, we're wanting to read and we're wanting to share with you uh, because you know it, it is such an important thing to uh, you know to come into this now <clears throat> just again for the people that don't know this that might be listening just keep these things straight uh, this when when you you look in the Bible and you, you look in the concordance uh, it's it's very difficult between the word soul and the word spirit. A lot of confusion, you know, and you have to really research it and you have to know what you're doing to, to find the differentiation. But then again, there's also, there's two kinds of soul. There's soul that we spell with a small small letter. It's not a capital. And soul is just means your body. And, and an animal can have a body, can have a soul. And that's just small case, that's material. That's a that's a material thing, okay. Uh, but but the spirit soul, we we spell that with a capital S, and the spirit soul is an eternal thing, and and uh, it is different from the body soul, and it's very important when you know you're really getting into uh, this thing. Uh, uh, it's very important. Now there is an awesome scripture in the book of John. 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So this this is very, 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 very important um, for the people out there that are saying, uh, you know, you go to them and say, have you been born again? Oh, absolutely. I've been born again. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm ready for heaven. Oh, I see. Well, do you... 
are, are you past uh, sinning? Are you, or do you still commit sin? Oh, goodness sakes! Yeah, I'm just a human, you know. I uh, yes, I commit sin. I make mistakes. I transgress. Uh, but uh, you know, I keep asking God to forgive me. Well, sir, how can you consider that you are born again uh, if you are committing sin? Well, why shouldn't I consider that? I've been told that by my pastor and evangelists that come through say the same thing. Yeah, but what about the scripture in 1 John 3, 9? It says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, he cannot sin, because he is born of God. <clears throat> well, I never heard of that scripture before. Are you sure that's correct? You sure that's Bible? Well, yes, sir, it is. And let me repeat again. You can find that in First John 3, chapter 3, verse 9. Now, if this would help you understand it just a little bit better, here is the MIV. It's, this, is, this is part of the, the manifest uh, you know, peace Bible uh, scripture. Whosoever is born of God overcomes the carnal body and needs not to be rebirthed by regenerations regener anymore. There is a place when you have regenerated the last time and you have finished your time and your chance. And when you have regenerated that last time, you have finally overcome uh, and, and and the seed that was implanted in you, this uh, that you know the seed of this of your spirit, uh, which was all part of these necessities, and and you know of which I was teaching earlier, you had to be born of the flesh, you had to be born of the spirit. Uh, they finally reach a place where you have overcome that. You do not have to have be born again of the flesh or born again of the spirit, uh, because you have completed by overcoming, and and now your seed remains in you and does not go out to to uh, regenerate into another human body. You have finished your your regenerations and it remains in you and you are truly uh, born again. Uh, and and that is uh, the real meaning of that scripture. Just another scripture that is so powerful towards towards teaching and showing uh, that. Um, that this thing of regeneration is, is uh, incredibly beautiful and and true doctrine, and uh, it just it just really really needs to be uh, carried carried on and and under, understood. Okay, all right, uh, we're just uh, moving right on here because uh, you know everything uh, uh, just just takes time. Now there is recorded in Hebrews 11:35 uh, a most incredible thing, where Paul writes and he says, "Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection." Now, one of the only really true scriptures that we have. Uh, that is written in the Old Testament and is probably one of the scriptures that uh, that um, Paul would be would be referring to is uh, and you know it has to, has to do with the scripture in Matthew and in Jeremiah in which it talks about um, 
that in that in Rama there was this great weeping and the mothers could not be comforted because their children had been killed and they were not and and this is in in the early chapters of Matthew because Herod had killed all the children under I think it was two years of age uh, trying to be sure that he had uh, killed and destroyed uh, Jesus but uh, Joseph being warned of an angel uh, took Mary and uh, Jesus out of the country and went to Egypt uh, and so he was spared but all these other children uh, who were actually slain uh, in place uh, in proxy for Jesus so I know that when God would look at that and see that, that, that you know they're just kids they're two years and, and younger some of them just babies and uh, uh, so God doesn't say well you know this, this things just happened uh, these stones fell on you and you're dead and it's too bad but you're you finished it because it's only you can only live one time, you know, and uh, it's, that's it. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible instead says, and you can go and you can read it uh, in in Jeremiah, and just just first look up the scripture in um, Matthew uh, of of these mothers that were weeping, uh, and 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 then it's a, then it'll give you the scripture over in the column uh, where you can find uh, the scripture that has. To do with uh, uh, in Jeremiah that the that these children got a chance to live again, and they come back and he says, "Don't weep anymore. Don't, don't want you to cry anymore because your prayers have been heard, and now these children are gonna are going to be able to come back, and they are going to live again." And, and and they're going to actually be born in Rome and then come back to Israel. And that's in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. Now, when you read that with this, and women received their dead and raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Uh, that is so powerful. That is so beautiful. And it is utterly, 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 utterly uh a, a uh, indisputable revelation uh, in Jeremiah and Matthew of um, of this uh, awesome revelation of uh, regeneration. So I, I thank God for 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 this word. Uh, I thank God for such a powerful truth. Uh, that is, you know, in the scripture. It's, it's right in the scripture where you can look it up. Uh, you can see it with your own eyes. Uh, it, it is an absolutely uh, beautiful thing. Uh, just, I guess I should just give you the scriptures so you'll have them. Uh, Matthew two eighteen. That's where it begins, and then it leads you back to the prophecy because even in Matthew two eighteen, they they recognized that what had happened there to the children had to do with the prophecy that that Jeremiah made, uh, and that prophecy that he made can be found in uh, uh, chapter uh, thirty one of Jeremiah. So if you went to chapter 31 of Jeremiah, verse 15, it would say, Thus saith the Lord, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children, because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, Reframe thy voice and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in, in thine end, saith God, that thy children shall come again to their own borders. And 
<laughs> scriptures like that. I don't know how anybody uh, would want to or could ever think of getting around it. It's just absolutely infallible proof of regeneration. It it makes you know the love of God so beautiful. It really does. Now, um, let's um, let's see what time is nine o'clock. Okay, um, you know what? I've got so much left to do. I think I should just go ahead and make there be one more session. And if some of you people, you know, don't like the subject, well, uh, uh, God bless you. We love you anyway. Uh, but there are people out there that do like it. Um, I'm getting uh, quite a few emails, and sometimes on the blogs people make statements. I do really appreciate that, you know. You people that really like subjects and it's really doing something for you, you can't imagine how important it is that you say a few words to let me know that, you know, things are happening in you from these teachings because they really encourage me to feel like uh, I'm not just uh, blabbering and losing uh, my, uh, you know, my, my myself. Um, I am going to take the time to do a real fast Gentile. Um, so if you will hang and hold with me a moment. Um, the subject that I want to deal on today is uh, emotional deprivation. Uh, people who, from a child and up, have suffered uh, not having uh, sufficient loving attention and, and the warmth and trusting relationships of their early years that they should have had, and that has helped them to uh, develop um, emotional problems and um, uh, actually has affected their lives uh, uh, for years and years and years. And then there are also people who, as adults, they have been married for many, many years. But uh, just in the marriage that they have, uh, they are also suffering emotional deprivation because they just don't get the tension from the partner that they, that they really need. And it is an a, a absolutely serious thing, uh, especially... Every person in the world needs to understand that, but especially the Christian needs to understand that, that there is an obligation of, 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 um, of, of proper um, r reconciliation and proper uh, accordance uh, that is due uh, 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 due to every person and and when uh, people who who love and people who need uh, love uh, are deprived of that uh, it is a a wrenching uh, devastating kind of thing uh, on their emotions that then begin to create all kinds of problems in the body so that there becomes blockages in the in, in to, to uh, various kinds of of, uh, of say receptors that that uh, are able to receive certain kinds of hormones, but because of the blockage, cannot receive it. So today, I want to concentrate this effort. If you are out there listening today, and if you are uh, know of someone who has had this. Uh, problem uh, happened from hurts, uh, bad environment as a child, uh, and and whether later in life or early in life, they are they have experienced this very devastating emotional deprivation. I want to do gentile uh, for these 
persons today, uh, I want to go into your your very uh, uh, chromosomes, and and uh, so if you are ready, let's begin. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary hypothalamus to thyroid, to the lymphatic gland, to the parasympathetic, the sympathetic neural transmission system, to the cerebellum, to the white core brain tissue, the spinal column. Begin to send messages through the corpus callosum. Uh, begin to send messages uh, through all to all of the hemispheres, through the medulla. Uh, send messages uh, to the entire uh, brain transmission system, especially dealing uh, with the nervous system, especially dealing uh, with the emotional aspects of the nervous system, especially dealing with those various hormone fluids that are a part of the body's um, operation uh, to be dispensed uh, so that there is a constant flow of these nourishing fluids uh, that give uh, people uh, stamina and, and confidence and and uh, and do, do not hinder uh, their emotional systems and break down their emotional systems. Uh, hypothalamus to the pituitary, uh, we be, uh, send messages to the hormones uh, to begin to seek out any of these blocked uh, and inhibited receptors uh, that have to do with a person being freed from uh, these emotional deprivations. Uh, we uh, call upon uh, the hormones uh, to uh, become influential to the point of exercising uh, their ability to begin to uh, take on the proper shape, the proper color, so that they can key uh, these receptors and open them so that the, the hormone fluids can begin to flow again. <clears throat> hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary hypothalamus to thyroid, begin to send messages uh, into the, the, the uh, chromosomes, uh, those that have uh, have become uh, jutted uh, out of of their proper setting. Uh, perhaps some of these are already jetted due to uh, genetic inheritance type things. Uh, we call upon the body now to begin to deal with these that are uh, jetted due to genetic things to begin to uh, rearrange uh, uh, the, these. Uh, uh, chromosomes uh, so that the order is changed enough not to change the disposition of the character of the person except to the point of setting them free uh, from these uh, deprivations uh, that have haunted them, have tortured them and, and have been a terrible uh, uh, source of affliction in their lives. You begin to loosen uh, this, this latticing effect so that these uh, uh, twisted uh, conditions are untwisted and these chromosomes are slightly uh, rewoven uh, at a slight change so that there is a setting free and, and a total healing. Well, blessed be the name of God. We thank God for the Gentile and the many, many people that have been healed. I am doing this not as a doctor, I in no way put down the medical profession or the medical people. We just thank God for this wonderful love. 
May God bless you and keep you. Go with God.